listen quick today because I got a lot to cover. Goodness gracious. And you know what? I love a good review. So, of course, we're going to jump right into the review. So, last week we we're in Joshua chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. And what we were seeing in that message, which was called Turn the Page, was how God was working to bring the wilderness story of the Israelites to a close as they were transitioning into their time in the promised land. And we saw three different points in that message. In this, first of all, we noticed was the timing. And what we did was we linked the starting date of the Exodus to actually the date that Joshua listed for us in Joshua chapter 4, 19. And we recorded the fact that the exit and the entry, God miraculously was going to make this thing close. That 40 years was going to end on exactly to the day, exactly 40 years. And what we saw was the fact that this literally took us into what we called the epilogue of their story. This is kind of the close of the wilderness story. And what we'll find is that from, uh, from, exit, from Joshua 4, verse 19, all the way to Joshua 5, 10, is where that epilogue is kind of taking place. And so with that understanding, we then looked at the location at this point in time, understand they've encamped themselves in the eastern border of Jericho. Okay? They're in a place called Gilgal. And what's interesting about Gizgal, Gizgal, Gilgal <laughs> is that this is a place where the people of Israel are really going to just for the first time going to really uh, kind of get themselves straight with God. There's still some issues that they've been struggling with. And what we found is the fact that what's interesting about Gilgal was not its location. It was not the resources. It was what took place there. What happened in the hearts of these people? They took a final step of obedience and submission. And what they did was they actually honored God by following that, uh, the covenant of circumcision that had been made to Abraham. Okay? When they finally get circumcised, guess what? That's when that chapter will close. And it will be uh, an entrance into their new adventure, which is going to be in the promised land. Then we looked at the purpose. Gilgal, okay, what was significant about this? This was the place where they built the monument or the memorial unto God. Now, remember that memorial was made out of 12 stones. We had 12 men that were selected to go back into the Jordan River, select stones that would represent the 12 tribes. So, the stones are representative of people. And what we saw was God was going to make this incredible memorial unto himself, a memorial unto his power using humanity. Here's a God who's perfect and holy using imperfect and unholy beings to create a monument, a monument to himself. And we think about why would God do that? Well, guess what? That's how God works. Huh. Every single day he takes imperfect, unholy, broken, flawed people and he uses them for his glory. You and I are all stories. If you have a salvation story, that's your story. God's used your life to bring glory to his name. And then so we then transitioned and what we closed up was kind of realizing, understanding the purpose of the wilderness story. What was the purpose of it? This was a time of trial, a time of testing, a time of refining in their lives. What God was doing, as we talked about before, it wasn't about getting them out of Egypt. It was getting the Egypt out of them to get them to let go of the things that they were attached to. And we made the comparison of us and the world, the way that we're tied to the world. And what we saw is the fact that God's transitioning and closing this time. And what was key was the fact that for you and I, if we're in our own wilderness, whatever that may be, Whatever struggle we have, whatever issue we're dealing with, what's cool about this is the fact that we learned that all it took to close out their wilderness journey was obedience. When we'll finally be obedient and submissive to God, he will close our wilderness. So that was our understanding. So as we're continuing in the epilogue, which we're going to be in for a few weeks because you all know how slow I go. It is what it is. Just deal with it. <laughs> 
what we're looking at is the fact that this, at this point in time, now they're in Gilgal, okay, they've set up and they've been to camp, they've set up the memorial, and now what happens is Joshua's going to start to give them some insight and some instruction uh, in this message. And what we're going to look at for us is there are going to be three different things we're going to ask ourselves today. First of all, am I prepared? Am I prepared? Secondly, we're going to ask ourselves this, is my life a physical representation of God's goodness? Am I a picture of Christ? And then third, we're going to ask ask ourselves this, will I give a biblical response? Okay, those are the three questions we're going to address in our message this morning, which is called A Testimony Unto God, Part 1. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for today and the gift of this time where we can gather together as brothers and sisters, Father, um, just to hear from you. God, you know that I have prayed, I have studied, I have read. Lord, you have spoken to me, and I'm asking you now to speak through me. Uh, empty me of self and of sin. Lord, help me, God, to get out of the way. I do not want to be heard. Lord, I am here to receive. And Lord, if no one else receives from today, God, I pray that you will speak to my heart. Help us all, Lord God, hear what it is you have to teach us that we might be a little bit more like you by the end of the day. And thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua chapter 4, and I'm going to read you verses 21 through 24. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you, until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you might fear the Lord your God forever." So in verses 18 through 20 last week, what we saw was this was talking about the arrival. Now what we're seeing here is in these four verses, we're shifting over to more of an instructional mindset. Now Josh was giving us some insight, and he's reminding them of how they got where they are. Okay, And we think about that, and we go, wow. So they're supposed to be giving honor and thanks to God for the gracious work that he's done. And we sit there, and we go, why is he doing that? They just got there. I mean, they were there. They were eyewitnesses. This was their story. We see the problem is... Humanity has a terrible, terrible habit of being hmm, self-centered and self-absorbed, right? We have a very short memory many times, and we have a tendency also to be very ungrateful. And uh, to give you an example, let's think about our national holidays, okay? Consider the 4th of July. Most of us, most of us, when we think of the 4th of July, we go, oh, great. Plan a barbecue. Figure out the guest list. And once we've all eaten plenty of food, we're going to sit back and enjoy ourselves a nice display of fireworks, either live or on TV. And that's the extent of it. Never allowing to cross our minds the thousands of lives that were given in the Revolutionary War. We completely miss it. As our ancestors fought and suffered and in many cases died horrific deaths to birth this nation, to birth America, this country. Guys, whether or not you like it or not, I hate to break it to you, but this country is unlike any other country that has ever existed in human history. This is where freedom truly was born. It had never existed in this world before. And to this day, guess what? This is the only country where you actually have freedom of speech. It is the only place. And we look at it and we go, man, oh man, this place changed the world. And praise God. Now, is it perfect? No. No. But guess what? There is no place perfect. We all want to point fingers at what's wrong, but you know what? Guess what? The reason why America has problems is it's full of of people. 
We're the problem. <laughs> Guess what? People are sinful by nature. We're self-centered by nature. Put a bunch of us in one place together and try to get us to agree. Guess look, it ain't going to happen. Not until we focus on the one truth which we're going to get to today. And I give you that as a glaring reminder of how easily we forget. Because recognize those people fought and died. And yet we have forgotten. There's a monument, the, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. It says this, freedom is a light for which many men have died in darkness. In unmarked graves within this square lie thousands of unknown soldiers of Washington's army who died of wounds and sickness during the Revolutionary War. The independence and liberty you possess, listen to this, are the work of joint councils and joint efforts of common dangers, sufferings, and success. We have what we have because someone paid the price. Yet we have such an easy ability to forget all about it. And that's what God's trying to share with us. Joshua's giving this insight because he's saying, guess what? I know humanity. I know how you guys roll. You're going to forget. So what we're going to do today is we're going to actually look at um, just the first two verses. And what we're looking at here is really the fact that Joshua's talking about a testimony, a testimony unto God. Now, there's what we find in those four verses is there's two testimonies unto God. One is more familial. One's more uh, local, uh, more, more personal. And then the other is more, is more global. We're going to be in verses 21 and 22. And verse, understand, the testimony, a testimony is nothing more than your story. A testimony is a, is a, is a story. And Joshua's addressing that in verses 21 and 22. He says, And he spake unto the children of Israel, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came up over Jordan on dry, dry ground. And understand, God knows humanity, okay? He knows that on their own they're going to forget not only how they got to the promised land, but they're not even going to care, just like we are on the 4th of July, all right? So first he tells them to be prepared. When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come. Notice that he doesn't say, if your children ask. That doesn't say that. He says, when your children shall ask. So in order for them to have the answers for their children, he's saying, look, you need to be prepared to answer them Give them the right answers. You need to know what to say. And this points us to a biblical truth that we all have to get a hold of. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we hear that verse and we go, okay. Now, first of all, just a little bit of qualifier. If you do not have a King James Bible and you go look up that verse, guess what you will not find? The word study. It's not in there. No other version. You're going to find things where it's going to say like this. Do your best to be approved unto God. It'll say, hasten to be unto God, to be approved unto God. Be diligent. But it does not say study. Study is a specific word because you know what study means? Study means diligent time devoted to learning and developing one's understanding. It's a very specific word, a completely different level of accountability in that term. And we'll also notice the fact that it's not a question. It's not a request. It's a command. Notice how he says it. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Not, I hope you study, or I wish you'd study. It'd be nice if you studied. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, we get to that word workman. Work. Ooh. Dirty word, man. Yuck. There are a lot of people in our country that don't want to work right now. Yep. Sitting at home collecting a check. That's why you, everywhere you go, help wanted, help wanted, help wanted, help wanted. Because guess what? People are naturally lazy. Hello? We all are. We have a tendency to be lazy. But what we find is the fact that if we're going to be proficient at anything, it's going to take work. 
When we look at these people that are in the gymnastics and stuff like that or doing these great events in the Olympics, do you think they just got up one day and were like, you know what? I'm going to go join the Olympic team. <laughs> I bet I'm a good gymnast. I got to be. No. <laughs> I bet they worked at it. They dedicated. They sacrificed. And they put time and energy and work into developing a proficiency and becoming good at what they do. And I'd like you to consider, as we look at that 2 Timothy 2.15, there's a verse I'm going to read you in just a second, and I want you to change the way you look at it. Traditionally, we always relate this to physical labor, okay? But I want you to think about it in regards to our spiritual labor, to the Word of God. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says this, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any man would not work, neither should he eat. Now, we consider that on a physical level, and that's certainly true, and that's certainly a principle that God teaches, that if you're not willing to work, guess what? You should not eat. So that's a part of who we are. But how about on a spiritual level? Think about this. Is he not challenging then? Is the word of truth not our spiritual food, that if we're not willing to work, that we will not eat? Is he not challenging himself? Put in the time and in the energy and the effort. And if you continue in that in 2 Thessalonians 3, he then admonishes those that are lazy. He's going, man, he just sort of jumps on them why they're lazy and what's the, 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 the temperament, the mindset. And then he makes an interesting statement here in verse 14. Notice this, 2 Thessalonians. That's a hard word to say when you just got to rattle it out. Thessalonians, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed ashamed. What did Paul just tell us in 2 Timothy 2.15? Study to show thyself approved unto, uh, unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. How is he not ashamed? Because he rightly divides the word of truth. And we get to that word divide. And guess what? If you don't have a King James, and luckily the new King James does have it. It uses the word divide. But you'll find in all these other versions, everything else, it'll say teaching the word of God, handling the word of God, or dealing with the word of God. And you know what you find out? That word division is very important. God uses it specifically because guess what? The word of God has divisions. We call them dispensations. A dispensation, what that means is God dispenses grace differently at different times. And the clearest indicator, people that go, I'm not a dispensationalist. Well, guess what? You've got to get a new Bible because it has an Old Testament and a New Testament. I hate to break it to you. There's a break there. They're not the same. They're not the same. Understand, what does it say in Hebrews? When we go to Hebrews and we look in that uh, chapter 7, verse 22, what you'll find is Paul mentions something. He says this, uh, a better, he says, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. What he's doing is he's contrasting between the high priest of the Old Testament to Jesus Christ as the high priest of uh, the, our high priest. And he's saying it's a better testament. Now, if you and I go and we bake apple pies together, you make your pie with all your fixings and all the business you're going to do. And I do mine. Your mind's going to have peanut butter because I love peanut butter. <laughs> and we put the pies out and everybody tries them. And they say, man, your pie is way better than my pie. What does that tell us? Is a better one. One's better. That means that they're different, right? If I ate the one against the other, I'm going to notice that there is a difference. And understanding the fact that there are difference, that there are dispensations, keeps us out of error, it keeps us out of false teaching. What happens? Where does confusion come from when people don't understand? Because listen, the New Testament, a testament, what is a testament? When I write the last, I'm an old man, so right, last will and testament. Now, if I write in the last will and testament, I leave you my truck, and you show up tomorrow, 
to get the truck. We're going to have a problem. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, but you ain't taking my truck. I'm just telling you. But when I die, guess what? The testament becomes valid as soon as the testator is dead. And guess what? When Jesus Christ was gone, guess what you entered into? A new testament, an age of grace. There was a change in time. So we recognize this. Now, if you come back to me and I do write you that and then you find out that, you're, that I've written my truck to you and you come back to me tomorrow and you try to blend the two testaments together, guess what? There's confusion. It doesn't make sense. Who owns the truck? No. When that time comes, you're the owner. Now, I'm the owner. Does that make sense? Yes. Help you to understand. There's divisions specifically in the Word of God. And God's expectation is that we would rightly divide the Word of truth. Why? Because when our children come to us, now, this is our physical children or our spiritual children, those that we're discipling. We have got to have the mindset that we are willing to put in the work. Why is that 2 Timothy important? Because guess what? What you're saying is, I don't have all the answers. Michael and I were just talking about this a day or so ago. When we deal with our disciples and they ask us a question, I don't have all the answers. And I'm preaching, I don't have all the answers, but all the answers are here. But it's a willingness. Am I willing to go study, to work, and divide the Word of God to get the answer? That's the key. You don't have to have all the answers. You just got the willingness to go where the answers are. Next, Joshua talks to us about a physical representation. What mean these stones? Okay. So this question will be birthed based upon what they see, the memorial that's in Gilgal. They'll look at the stones, and that stone, that, that memorial will make them ask a question. Do we remember these stones represent people, right? They're representative of people. And all of them, they have a collective or they have an individual identity, you know, by their names of their tribes. But guess what? Collectively, they become a picture of the Lord, a picture of God's goodness. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this. Now ye, speaking of the church, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. You guys are individuals, but guess what? Together, collectively, you are a picture of the Lord. Consider the fact that as we read this, one of the things we figure out is the fact that the, the Israelites didn't do a very good job of sharing their history. Because they see the stones and they don't go, oh, Dad, there's the memorial unto God. No, they go, what are these stones? And see, they're asking about their history. And our kids, guess what? They need to know our history. God's given us all a story, right? We need to share our story. But what's interesting is the fact that they don't need our human wisdom. They don't need our life experience of all the awful things we did in our past. That's not really relevant. What we want to share with them is, hey, this is, what, this is what God did. This is how God protected me through my life. This is how God reached me. This is how God restored me. This is how God redeemed me. And the mom and dad that you see today is not because I'm a good person. Amen. It's because I have a good God. Right. Because he loves me. Amen. And you know what? The only reason we have a family that we do is because God is good. He gets ultimate glory. That's the purpose of this testimony how it impacts us yes but gosh how does it impact the people in our life what does our story tell them our very existence as lively stones is to speak of God's goodness and yet there are people sitting in this room I guarantee you going you know what my life is no picture of God's blessings I mean right now I'm going through the ringer pastor you don't understand you won't believe what's going on at work. You won't believe what's going on in my family. You won't believe what's going on in my health. You know what? Right now, life is not so good. And I know you want to be all peachy keen. And yeah, life's supposed to be all about God's goodness. But right now, life's not so good. Right now, it's pretty hard. And you know what? That's true for us all at some point in time in life. But can I just remind us 
of who we are. 2 Corinthians 6.18 teaches us that we are sons and daughters of God Almighty. 1 Peter 2.9 teaches us that we are royal priests. In Philippians 1.1, we find out that we're saints. <coughs> saints. Listen to what Revelations teaches us in Revelations 1 verses 5 through 6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood, in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And you know what we find is the fact that when we lose sight of what we should be grateful for, we become dissatisfied with our lives. The problem with being depressed and, and, and so worked up with all the things in my life, all the pressures of all the things that we're going to complain about. You know what it's a picture of? Ingratitude. Because if we understand who we are and what we deserve, this is but a blip of time. And what awaits those that will suffer? We will never face it. Man, yeah, this life might be full of challenges, but you know what God's doing through the whole thing? It's a wilderness. He's trying to shape us. And if we recognize it for what it is, instead of being angry at our situation, look at it and say, God, what am I supposed to learn? Peter reminds us of how we should look in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we talked about last week, right? What happened? The Israelites were brought out of bondage so they could be brought in to the promised land. Do you see what he just said? To be brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light, picturing the very same thing. When our family sees our lives, our daily lives, the way that we live, the choices that we make, the way that we express ourselves, does our life cause our family to look at us and does it cause them to ask questions about God? Do they look at us and say, man, you know what? Why are you the way that you are? Or what makes you have the ability to go through this hard time? Is our life impacting our family by causing our children, our spiritual or otherwise, to look into our life when they spend time with us and they feel compelled to ask us questions about the hope that we just have, the love that's in us, the joy that's in us. The, the contentment, the peace. Is it because those things exude from us because of our relationship with the Lord that they're asking us questions about who he is? Philippians 4 verses 6 through 9 says this, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Don't focus on what's wrong in your life. Focus on those things that God has done. Have a grateful heart. It'll change your perspective on life. Those things which ye have both learned. How do you learn? Because you study and received and heard and seen in me. Do. And if you'll do this, guess what? And the God of peace shall be with you. See how that works? Does our life display that kind of peace to our family? Or do they see us trudging through life, just trying to keep our head above water to survive just one more day? 
Sad to say, most people, it's the latter. We get caught up in this world. And we live our lives in our own strength, not relying on God. But you see, either way, the way we live it, it's going to create questions. See, they looked at that physical representation. They looked at those stones, and they had questions. Joshua warned us to be prepared to answer questions. He pointed out the fact that it was important for us to be a physical representation that would create and spawn questions. And then this is key. The third point is a biblical response. A biblical response. Verse 22. Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. When they ask, which they will, then, right, take note, Joshua's instructions, then ye shall let your children know. When they ask you, you need to be ready with a response, the right response. Notice that he doesn't say here, tell them all about your story. Now, should your children know your story? Yes. But guess what? There's a time and a place for that. When someone asks a question, because understand, they're looking at a memorial, that's to God. When they ask you questions about your life that's related to God, you need to give an answer from God's word and from his wisdom and not your life wisdom. They do not need to know how you survived life to this point in time. They need to know what God's answer is for them. When people are going through hard times, they don't need our advice. They need scripture. They need biblical foundation and understanding so that they can learn how to trust in him. Listen, if your kids don't know how to turn to the Word of God, they're going to turn to anyone who they will, who is willing to give them an answer. Look, he's, he's directing them to the miraculous work of God, Israel. He said, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. Moses did the same thing for them. In, Motor, in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, way before they got to Canaan, listen to what Moses says. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. And then, right... He goes on to tell them that if they'll be faithful to live and to keep God's word, that God will bless them. Verse 7, he says this, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. He said, you know what I need you to do? I need you to live my word. I need you to keep my word. I need you to teach my word. Listen, he's saying what? Your testimony of your life should point your children to me. Are you guys with me today? I feel like I'm preaching to dead people. Wake up. I'm telling you, this is important. Is our family, is our life, see Christ in us. It's key. Because if they don't, they'll look for him other places. And guess what? There are plenty of antichrists out there. There's plenty of deception out there that will draw them into God knows where. You need to be the source of truth. And if they don't see it in you, why would they trust you to have the answer? Is that what our lives are doing for our kids? Are they turning them to God? And listen how Moses closes as he circles back in Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 25. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Dad, why do you live according to the law of God, according to the word of God, according to his judgment. Why do you do that, Dad? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. We know where we came from. And the Lord brought us up out with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. 
God's perfecting us. That he might preserve us alive as it is to this day. And it shall be our righteousness. Listen. If we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord, our God, as he hath commanded us. Man, if we want our best, we need to give God our best. He's the answer to the questions of life. He's always the answer. Joshua points them. Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. Son, you know that massive river, this Jordan that you've seen? When we came here into the land that God promised, by the way, and we showed up at this place, God stopped the water dead in its tracks. And the the water was so drawn that it was dry land we walked across. Son, it was the miraculous hand of God that allowed us to be here. So when you see these stones, you know what you need to have? A thankful heart, son. You need to have a heart that says, God, it's good. Look at his amazing love for people that were disobedient for 40 years. And yet, even though we were there, son, he still did that. Imagine that. And listen, guys, the whole point of this is when our children, physical or otherwise, and they ask us about our lives because of what they see, good or bad. Remember, they both garner questions. What do our lives really reveal to our kids about God? Do we live in fear? Constantly worried? Because he can't be trusted? Is that what our life says? Is that the message we send to our children who are watching our actions and the way we deal with adversity? Or do they see us and say, you know what? My mom and dad walk by faith. Not by sight. What's going on looks bad. But they told me God's still on the throne. And they trust him. Yet though he slay me, I will trust him. Right? Either way, our life speaks and creates questions. What we do speaks way louder than what we say. And this is why we must be absolutely deliberate in following Joshua's instructions in giving factual, Bible-based answers to their questions. Because with people that have questions, they always seek answers. Right? (coughs) They have questions, they will search for answers. The church has dropped the ball. The last couple of generations has dropped the ball. Why do we believe what we believe? Shut up, son. Just pay attention. Look forward. Mm-hmm. But, Dad, what about this? Uh, you know what? Hey, ask the preacher. Pre- I'm too busy, son. Take the time to invest in these kids and teach them the truth because they need to know there is truth available to them. There's truth in the Word of God. Amen. Because guess what? If we will not take them to the Word of God, they will turn to our secular society. And guess what? A humanistic, anti-God, atheistic culture is prepared to give them all the answers they're willing to receive. And it will give them a load of garbage in their ear. You know what, son? You know what? We're, we're people that follow. We're, we're, we're all about the science. How many of us heard that just recently? Follow the science. Right? And you know what's really interesting? If you do follow the science, you find out that the science doesn't agree with the science. And guess what? The science doesn't even agree with reality. It doesn't even match up. But the Word of God always agrees with itself. And guess what? It always lines up with reality as well. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 18 and 19 says, Let let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. He's saying, let him let go of this worldly wisdom that he might have understanding of the truth. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Little do they know 
that as they dig these holes for themselves, they're literally creating traps for their own souls. And they think they have all the answers, trusting in worldly wisdom and defying God. James 3.15 says, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. And because the world is so ready with answers, guess what? We must be ready as well. Not with human wisdom, not with our experience, but with the wisdom of the Word of God. And listen, you go, man, I'm not qualified. I don't know how. Why do you think we have discipleship? Why do you think I want you in church? Why do I want you to be faithful? Because the whole point is to develop and grow because your kids are growing up right underneath your eyes. The people you're interacting with that you're supposed to be impacting their lives, guess what? They're slipping away. And if we don't start to give them some truth, something they can hold on to, the wind of doctrine, every wind of doctrine will blow them any which way. That's not good English. I don't even know what that means, but you got the point. (laughs) But what we see here is the fact that, look, and what's interesting is these people that are so intellectual. What's remarkable is the more answers they come up with, the more questions they come up with. It's a never-ending cycle. And the more we learn, the more we need to know because we can find no answers. You will not find the source of truth in humanity. We find it in only one place, the Word of God. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, means generously, and abradeth not. He will not hold back, and it shall be given him. Listen, we either believe the wisdom of God or we believe the wisdom of man. And as our children have questions, whether they're about our lives and just kind of the way they see us living, or if they're just general questions. Mom, Dad, where did I come from? Where am I going to go? If they have these questions, which I promise you they do, it's absolutely imperative for their future, for the future of our country, for the future of our world, that we answer them with the word of God and we give the God's honest truth. See, we must be prepared to answer their questions when they come. While living lives as physical representations of Christ in our family and having being prepared and provided to give biblical responses to the questions that our children will have. It's absolutely imperative. And if we will faithfully do the job that God's given us to do and we'll just follow through with what he's done and follow his guidance when they our spiritual children or our physical children become parents themselves the cool thing is that they will be able to answer the questions that their children have through living and giving a testimony unto God because of what he did in their life. We are given these kids for just a limited amount of time. Let's not let them slip away and be eaten up by the world. In the 1950s, the average Church attendance was 54% of the United States were church attendance. Right now, 13% of Americans. They're slipping away. The question is, will we grab them and grab them with the truth? Because they're looking for questions. They've got questions galore. John 3.16, if you go and look the research on that and go check how many times that's searched online, millions and millions millions of times 
give people the truth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us the gift of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the way you spoke to me. And uh, Lord, I do pray for all of us as parents that you'll help us to be better husbands, to be better wives, to be better parents, better moms and dads. Help us, Lord, to realize the dire importance of not only our own knowledge of the word of God for our own sakes, but Lord, for the fact that we are to teach those that are entrusted to us. God, there's great responsibility in that, but also in a tremendous gift. What a wonderful thing to see our kids walk with God. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for the word. Thank you, Lord, for the way you've worked in our hearts. I do pray, God, that you'll help us all to get serious about the things of the word of God and truly have a testimony unto you. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, listen, if you're here today and you say, I don't know necessarily where I even stand with God. Listen, 20 years ago, I was completely unchurched, never sat in a church service my entire life. I was 34 years old. I never even had a Bible opened up in my life. And someone cared enough to tell me the truth of who Christ was. The fact that I was a lost man, that I was on my way to hell, not because I was worse than anybody else, but just simply because of the fact that I did not have Christ. And he offered from the, from the cross, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that gift is offered to every single person. If you're online watching this, I don't care if it's recorded and it's 10 years from now. This is not about a relationship. This is not about me. This is about a, 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 about a relationship with you and Christ. God, the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's reaching out. If you feel a draw on your heart as God speaks to you and he says, I want a walk with you. I want to be close to you. If it's sin in your life and you're a born-again child of God, get it right with him. Let him cleanse you through the washing of the water of the word. And if you're lost and you've never received Christ, 20 years ago, I took the time to let somebody share with me who I was. And I realized that without the Lord, I would be lost and undone. So their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I've never received Christ as my savior, but I know in my heart, I want to. He's reaching out to you. All you have to do is respond. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a ceremony. It's just a matter of a willing heart. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Again, it won't be the words. It's your heart that'll save you. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry for my sin, for the way that I've failed myself, my family, and most importantly, you. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart to save my soul, to give me a home in heaven. I believe that you died for me, that you rose in the third day, and Lord, you proved you were God. God, I thank you so much for the work you've done in my life. Thank you for the saving power of God. I'll see you.